Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. My guest is the director of the Oscar-qualified short film, The Letterman, and the director's name is Andy Valentine. Thanks for hanging, Andy. Okay, first question I need to ask is, what we're, this movie is based on 200 letters that were discovered by a museum curator in a small town in England, and it documented the love affair of two men who both served in the military during World War II. What would have happened... Had it had they been discovered, had their relationship been discovered in those years? Uh, a lot of things. You know, I think that they could have simply been just kicked out of the military. They could have been uh, sent to the front. They could have been um, in prisons. Um, it just depended on the commander at that certain time um, in history. So it was definitely uh, a fearful uh, moment, you know, between those two men, the fact that they were willing to, you know, share their love in these letters and that they were willing to risk everything, you know, um, um, to, you know, put their love on, on paper. So the film is a documentary or did you make a narrative from it? Uh, it's a narrative. Ah, and when you read these letters, uh, tell me about the story, the plot line without giving it all away that came to light for yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, I went through these letters and, and I wanted to make, you know, a, a, a really, a beautiful short film just about their love. I think that within a lot of, you know, LGBTQ plus cinema, um, you know, we see a, a lot of similar themes of, of coming out um, and the, 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 the challenges that one faces by being, um, you know, part of that, part of that community. And from the letters, you know, we definitely have that, but we also have this like incredible, love story between these two men during that time. And that's what I really wanted to focus the film on. So, you know, they are uh, very much throughout the film, we hear Gordon's actual um, words that he wrote. Um, and we see, you know, two, these two men, you know, together kind of in this, this fairy tale, um, which is really beautiful. And what did you learn about queer culture of the time? It's actually, it was very surprising when I went over to, uh, I went over to England twice um, to research the letters and also meet with historians and uh, friends of uh, Gilbert Bradley is that queer culture during World War II actually thrived. There were gay bars, um, there were drag shows, there were drag queens, um, it, which was like shocking. I had no idea that that was, that that was going on. And what, what really you know, there was something else going on. World War II was going on. So everybody kind of looked the other way, right? And so, you know, with so many um, men being called up to London at that time, you know, they just kind of let it happen. And then after the war ended, that's when they really clamped down on things. Um, And things got really rough for for queer people. You know, during times of great uh, stress for human beings, we know that one of the best stress reducers that exists is simply connection with another human. 
just love, right? When COVID happened, we hunkered, we sheltered at home, right? And hunkered down with the people we loved. We stayed close to our bubble. And um, I'm sure that this relationship was as satiating, maybe if not more, than some of the heterosexual relationships that were happening around World War II. There was a, there's been so much written and movies done about women waiting for their man to come home and men being sustained by these perfumed love letters. And all this was important to everybody's mental health. But there's this added layer with the story, The Letterman, because remember... It, it was only as recently as 1973 that the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, eliminated homosexuality as a mental illness. So we're talking about a culture who did not understand. And, you know, I often say, Andy, for instance, uh, mm. if, you, if you're looking at racism, one of the most dangerous things about racism actually isn't the overt discriminatory acts that happen or even the bunch of microaggressions. It's the internalized sense of I am less than in this culture that often holds people back. Did you find that the two of them helped each other with their self-esteem and to be strong? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Gordon constantly encouraged Gilbert. You know, it, it was it was a very challenging time um, for these men. You know, they were happy that they were, you know, being able to support their country, but that didn't mean that it, it didn't come with uh, with severe challenges. Um, you know, being in the military during World War II, being constantly bombarded with bombs during the Blitz. Um, you know, but they were there. And they supported each other through three years, which is absolutely incredible that their relationship lasted that long. Do we know um, what happened that, afterwards? It's not the, uh, you know, cinematic movie ending that we all dream of, right? They didn't walk together in the sunset. They, they ended up, you know, they were together for three years and then they broke up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that Gordon moved to Los Angeles and Gilbert stayed in the UK. So they both lived their separate lives. But, you know, to me, what was what was really, um, you know, spoke to the love that they had for one another is that Gilbert, you know, over 50 years kept all of these letters and he kept all of these letters from Gordon, you know, one of his his first his first love. Andy, nobody forgets their first love. Nobody does. It's like it's this momentous thing that changes your whole biology. In reading these 200 letters when you were making the movie The Letterman, um, did anything surprise you? Um, I think that I was uh, just taken back by uh, how open they were about wanting to have this um, monogamous, Mm-hmm. Uh, relationship. Um, you know, I don't think that at that particular time, queer relationships have always been evolving, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of what that means. Um, you know, and, and today I'm, I'm married with my husband and we have a daughter, you know, but that was something that was probably unthinkable for Gilbert and Gordon, you know, mm-hmm. to, be, to be able to be married and to have children. But in the letters, they talk about wanting to spend, you know, all of their life together and to live together and to have this commitment to one another that they are that they are the ones for each other. 
That's so beautiful. You know, I've always said that human beings have the widest range of sexual behavior of any primate species, uh, both in sexual orientation, frequency, ability, you know, multi, uh, numbers of partners, etc. We just have this wide range of what it is to be a human. And I think that there is often this stereotype that exists in the gay community for, for people viewing outside the gay community that all gays must be promiscuous because they're men, right? And Or at least gay men. Uh, when Actually, just like the heterosexual population, you're going to have people who are monogamous, people who are serial monogamous, people who have open polyamory. You got it all. And and here was in World War Two, them dreaming of the kind of future that you, Andy, were able to create in this era. Right. Yeah, it's beautiful. Where can people see the Letterman? Uh, the Letterman is uh, playing uh, at various film festivals um, around the country at the moment. Um, it'll be playing at the East Lansing Film Festival uh, in November. It'll be playing at the uh, uh, International Film Festival in Glasgow um, as well in November. And then you can uh, find out uh, where it'll be playing uh, publicly, probably in six months, um, if you follow us on Instagram at Letterman Film. Um, Okay. All the info will be right there. So if you are a buyer or a distributor, you go to Letterman Film on Instagram. You call up Andy yep. and you say, we need yeah. this film on our streamer. We do. <laughs> How do yeah. I do? Love that. <laughs> Love that. That's perfect. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us, Andy. Thank you so much. That's director Andy Valentine of the Oscar-qualified short film, The Letterman. When we come back, can we get to some questions you guys have been flying them in on my social media and you know what you got questions i have answers you are listening to the dr wendy walsh show on kfi am 640 we're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app as you know we're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app um i normally do calls but we cannot possibly get to all the questions that are sent to me by social media and i'll tell you why this is tender stuff i know how hard it is to call in. I'm always appreciative for those who do call in, and I'm sure you change your names. I hope you do. Uh, so, Because we want to talk about really intimate things. So let me go to my social media and answer some of the questions that have been coming my way, and some of them are really important questions. I also want to remind everybody that I'm a professor of psychology. I teach developmental psychology, health psychology. I have personally been obsessed with the science of love for about three decades and have written three books on relationships. However, I'm not a therapist. I don't have a license. This should be drive-by makeshift relationship advice. Okay, with that said, that's my disclaimer. I like to say that so you all know. All righty, let us go to Instagram first. Dear Dr. Wendy, I'm in a relationship. I just keep getting hurt and I'm being vulnerable and open, uh, and I'm definitely selective to who I date. Well, I just read all the way through. She's not that selective. Let's understand. I've just been dumped by a guy. Uh, Okay. We had a great connection, great conversations, loads in common. He's totally on the same page. I was so excited about the potential, but he didn't speak for over a week. And since I have an anxious attachment style from past hurt, and obviously in my head I'm being ghosted, so I sent him a nice message which was left unread for over a day, even though he'd been online. And then when I messaged again, wait, two times, I'm counting, saying that, uh, saying something about ghosting, he was defensive about how busy he'd been, etc. And he said that I wasn't a good match. I feel like I'll never find anyone and I'm fine being single. 
Um, I've always been good on my own. I'm not a needy person by any stretch. I want to find love and I want to build this with somebody. All right. How can I heal? She says, well, I just want to say right now that you can heal from an anxious attachment style because I did, but I did it with a licensed therapist and I highly encourage you to reach out because you even alluded here that there were past hurts. And I'm thinking these past hurts weren't just in your romantic relationships. I think it might've started way earlier. But as far as some little behavioral things, everyone should know this. When you have an anxious attachment style and you're afraid to ask to get your needs met because your fear of abandonment is bigger than your um, belief that you deserve to be cared for. And so what ends up happening is you unconsciously pick people who will be emotionally avoidant, who will ghost you. So first it is learning how to reshape your picker. Um, And I know you say you're selective in who you date, but once you go to therapy, you and your therapist together are going to figure out that there are some early, early red flags that you might even see in dating profiles that like, for instance, I just wanted to stop and tell everybody this. When somebody says in their dating profile that they don't want drama, they write no drama in their thing. That means I don't want emotional intimacy because they can't tolerate it. They don't understand it. They're not emotionally intelligent. So they just call they dismiss it and call it drama. You see those words? Move on. Okay. Second thing. When somebody with an anxious attachment style does reach out to get their uh, needs met um, and feel any bit of rejection from that person, their next response is through aggression and anger. Look, I did this. I had this on and off again relationship with an avoidant playboy for 10 years, a lot of off too. But when I would finally ask for my needs to be met, it would be in an angry tirade. I'd call him up and you don't do this. And you said you were going to do that. And you're like all about him. Like, like it's his job to make me happy. Like any healthy person, when their needs aren't being met, they just move away. If you're dating somebody and you think you have a great connection and you have a lot in common, just like this person, and then they don't respond for a week, you don't have a lot in common. You don't. You think you do on paper. But just the fact that they caused that injury. Now, I agree with you. I would send one more text because you never know. They could be in a hospital and you should be checking on them because you got to give care. So reaching out one time is great. But then when he doesn't respond, now you know. Silence is communication. Silence is telling you something. But then you had to send that one more text. I know I was there, girl. I used to be you. That one more text where you said you messaged him about ghosting. You probably gave him a little lesson, some learning on ghosting. I don't like being ghosted. And he got all defensive and said, well, you're not a good match anyway. That's how it flies. Okay. I'm telling you, you can heal by finding a therapist, choosing better early on, finding healthy ways to reach out and get your needs met. And more importantly, learning to just move away from people who are a bad match. It is nothing wrong with you. You are totally lovable. You are completely lovable. It's just you're shooting your love at the wrong person. You're shooting all your Cupid arrows at the person who will reject you. I'm so sorry this happened. I love you. I'm glad you wrote in because I used to be you. I get it. All right, moving right along back to social media. So this writer uh, appears to be male, says, as you can probably guess, most men don't have serious boundaries when it comes to dating. Wonder why you think that about most men. 
Maybe you think you don't have serious boundaries. I don't know. On the other hand, he says, I would say most women do have boundaries when dating. Maybe around you. Maybe they feel they need to protect themselves. Just saying. And with that said, they put themselves in a comfort zone and are not willing to open up a little. Or they've had bad experiences, are not willing to give someone new the opportunity to express themselves beyond their boundaries that they've set for themselves. Shouldn't some women open up their boundaries and allow themselves something new? So, you know, I listen with a different lens here. Uh, This isn't a story about boundaries. This isn't even a story about gender. Most men are, and so most women do. This is a story about attachment style. I'll explain when we come back. You are listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Okay, so I was I was answering this question from a gentleman from social media. He says, as you can probably guess, most men don't have serious boundaries when it comes to dating. On the other hand, I'd say most women uh, do have too many boundaries when they're dating. And shouldn't some women open up their boundaries and allow themselves something new? Uh, he finds that women put themselves into a comfort zone and they're not willing to open up. Now, on face value, you would say maybe this person is just making generalizations about the genders. And I would say, yeah, probably. But I'm also saying, hearing here, remember when we talk about attachment style, people who have a little bit of anxiety around attachment, uh, who have needs for closeness, but on some level feel that their needs are you know, don't deserve to be met. You know, maybe as a child, they didn't get the care that they deserved. So what ends up happening is their abandonment issues become higher than their need for love. But they do need and deserve. I mean, I hate that word needy because it's not negative. We all have needs, right? So uh, they often get attracted to people with an avoidant attachment style. This guy used the word open up, open up, open up a number of times. And that tells me that he is craving emotional intimacy, but he's trying to get it from women who aren't opening up. Although he words it by saying some women open up, or shouldn't some women open up their boundaries and allow themselves something new? This isn't about boundaries. I want to make that clear. A boundary is you deciding what behavior from another you will accept or not and putting up a consequence if you get behavior you won't accept. The consequence might be to walk away or to address it or to give them a command like this is not how I like to be treated. And then when they still, you know, trounce across your boundary, then move away, right? So I think what's happening actually is that this guy has unrequited love. He keeps getting attracted to avoidant women and he thinks they have strong boundaries. You know, they don't. They probably just can't give emotionally because it feels uncomfortable to them. Here's another thing to add more complexity to this. When somebody is emotionally anxious, they don't realize it, but their emotional needs pour out through their pores and the, uh, it makes the other person back up and recoil. That's why you'll hear people say, you know, they're really nice, but a little too needy, right? That may be a comment about how avoidant the speaker is, or it may be a comment about they made me just shut down because this was way too much too soon. So I think the answer, the big answer to this is to analyze how much of this is your attachment style, figure out how you can self-console, calm down, be chill, right? Great example. Years ago, I went on a date with a guy. 
And it was a lovely date. It was in New York. Uh, it was, you know, a plate of pasta, glass of wine. I'm in the cab on the way back. It's like five minutes since I've left his company. He sent me two texts. It was like, hey, it was really great meeting you. It was a really wonderful date. And then the second one is, how did I do? Did I pass the boyfriend test? Are we going to have a second date? I literally wrote back, chill, dude. Because I was going to have a second date until that happened. It blew it for me. It was too much, too soon, too neediness. And I know you might be thinking, that's very cruel and judgmental, Dr. Wendy. One little interaction, but you see, I can read the parallel universe. And I knew what else was coming. That's an insecure person who might be great for somebody, but not for me. And it just felt, it made me want to be avoidant and just recoil a little bit. So we all have to, when we first meet somebody, we have to stay in a place of unknowing. We don't know if they're going to call us back. We don't know if we should call them back. We don't know if they like us. We don't know if we really like them. We have to just chill. We have to find ways to contain ourselves. We have to find ways to relax. We need to wait and see and not put any judgment on whatever happens. So in other words, if they ghost you or reject you or whatever, friend zone you, whatever, you can't go to a place of, I'm a bad person now. I'm unlovable. You have to go to a place of, huh, that wasn't a good match. Next, right? That's all you need to do. All right. Let me go back over here. Should I go to TikTok, Instagram, Facebook? Oh, we have so much coming in. I think this one is on Instagram as well. Dear Dr. Wendy, I've been in a relationship for a year. Found out he has a girlfriend. Oh, and you've given me the strength to move on from this rubbish. Oh, I'm sorry you're in pain and I'm happy I gave you strength. In a strange way, this avoidant cheater has helped me with my anxious attachment because he's so unavailable. It's also shown me what my needs are. Ding, 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 ding. I'm so proud of you. And that he doesn't meet them. And that I can also meet some of them in other ways. So at least I've gained that from the past year and I'm staying positive. I love you. I want to give you a big kiss and a hug right now. Okay, here comes a question. But um, I, a bit of a bad one to get into. Uh-oh. But after leaving my narcissistic ex of 15 years and I recognize my patterns, instead of ignoring red flags, I'm listening now. I've had a lovely, respectful, kind man be consistent since October of last year, but I've been too involved with the expletive of the narcissist to embrace him. You've shown me that this is the type of love I need. Thank you. Oh my God, you're welcome. What are some of the ways I can keep reminding myself of this lesson so I never go back? Also, you always look absolutely stunning. Oh, <laughs> that was sweet. I can't believe I read I hadn't read this before, okay? And I just read it out loud. Okay. Um, thank you for all your compliments. And I'll tell you, this is very common. I want everyone to know that as you're changing your attachment style, there are going to be some flashbacks. There are going to be some slip-ups. You're going to get a text from that ex and you're going to go, oh, maybe I should just get dressed up and go meet him there one night. It happens. This is how we have to use our brain over and over to take one step in front of the other, moving towards happiness. And this is how you remind your brain. You express gratitude out loud to your man, the good one, every single day. You catch them being good. And this does two things. It obviously enlivens the best parts of him and he keeps doing all those good things more. It also reminds you of why you're there. 
It is literally a trick for your brain that works, that helps you rewire your brain. Thinking of why you're there, why you love them, focusing on the positive keeps you committed. There's research to this. But thank you for your really, really nice note. All right, when we come back, I'm staying on social media because these are great questions. You are listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Okay, I am still taking your messages online and answering your questions. Reminder, this is drive-by makeshift relationship therapy because I'm not a therapist. I'm a psychology professor. But I've been researching the science of love for many decades, and I've written three books on relationships. So, hey... If you think my wisdom is worth it, I'm happy to weigh in. What do they call me? They call me a warm voice with the cold, hard truth. I'm sorry if I'm tough sometimes, but I want you to really, uh, hey, you wouldn't write to me if you didn't want a wake-up call. Just saying. Uh, okay, let's head over to TikTok. Here we go. By the way, if you want to follow me or send any messages on social media, I'm everywhere. The handle everywhere is at Dr. Wendy Walsh. That's the at sign, D-R, no period, D-R. Wendy Walsh, at Dr. Wendy Walsh. And that would be YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, two different Facebook pages, Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere. And I do a live stream every Wednesday where I answer your relationship questions at like 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. You know why I say Pacific time now? Because I've learned from my social media and telling people over and over to download the iHeartRadio app that you guys are all over the country now. It's so exciting to know that you're everywhere sending in your questions. Okay. Going to TikTok. Here's a question. Dear Dr. Wendy, I am loving your honest chats. Well, thank you. Some people don't like them so much. And I would love to know about where to meet quality men over 50. Oh, I met one. I'll tell you how. I'm getting into the pattern of meeting guys. And then when they get too close to my family, I put a block up. Well, that's interesting. We'll have to analyze that. I'm keen to be in a relationship as my kids are grown now. Also, how do I attract genuine guys? Some look at my profile and send hideous pics. You know the ones I mean. I know. They're Richard pictures. <laughs> right, Kayla? Richard pictures. Wait a side step it, Dr. Wendy. I'm, I'm a, proud of you. I'm allowed to say Richard pictures. <laughs> All right. Let's tally it up to Dr. Wendy. <laughs> because the last time I said the actual name of the Richard pictures, which is the short form of Richard, um, Kayla had to hit some kind of magic red button and had to erase dump me. all the audio. Had to dump all the audio. Yeah, it's terrible. Okay, <laughs> so let's get to it. First, so you got a bunch of questions here. Let's start with the first one. Where to meet quality men over fifty? Look, they're everywhere. And the great thing about the dating apps, whether it's Bumble, whether it's Hinge, whether it's even Tinder, but you got to be real clear if you're not just looking for a hookup. You got to say that on Tinder. Um, is people search based on an age range? So if you make sure that you put your actual age, let's say it's 55, then you can be quite assured that the man who matches with you is looking for somebody who's 55. So you can erase any idea of, oh, they're all looking for young women. You know what? They may be, but they're not looking for you. So you won't see them. You, they don't even exist in your universe. So that's the good news. The other thing is you want to meet quality men who are in your same peer group so as some of the apps, you can search by geography, right? Don't search way out of town. Search in your zip code. Search a 10-year age range, 50 to 60. That's it. And then you only get potential matches who are near you. 
It also reduces the amount of Richard pictures because if they think you live around the corner, they're not going to be putting soft porn into you. Okay. Well, they might want to, but they're not going to as much. Um, Okay. Next thing. How do you attract genuine guys? You become a genuine woman. So the second they get flirty, whether it's on the text or whether it's in real life, they're testing you. Every single man out there is testing a woman to see if she's good for a short-term relationship or a long-term relationship. I promise you this is true. He doesn't know what category you go into. You're the one who has to present as the one looking for a long-term relationship. Now, if he disappears and ghosts you because of your boundaries, great! Do the touchdown cheer. Thank your lucky stars. Because the process of finding one mate is the process of eliminating potentially thousands of mates. And the earlier you can eliminate them, the better. I also believe do not get into very long conversations on those apps. Exchange two or three texts and then exchange a phone number. And if they don't want to get on the phone, remember, there are all these dating apathy people, people who suffer from dating apathy, where they just get on the apps and they just send a few messages and that's enough. They're emotionally satisfied. They never move into the real world. They never get on the phone. You're the one who has to effort that. You're the one who has to ask for that. You're uh, Listen, women have 100% control in a new relationship, 100%, until they sleep with the guy, and then he's got 100% control. They're like, oh, is he going to call me back? I don't know, right? So at the beginning, you can actually get him to do anything you need him to if he's into you. And if he's matched with you, he's probably into you. Don't be shy about ghosting a guy who you've had a couple uh, texts with only, and he disappears, and he's not being quickly responsive. It means his box is full of a lot of people, or he's not really looking for a relationship. So just get rid of him. And then meet for a very short 20-minute coffee. I call this the drive-by date before the first date. A little coffee. So you can actually think, like, do I really want to get dressed up and go on a first date with this guy? Um, When they do send the Richard pictures, by the way, all you need to do is um, ghost him at that point. Like, there's no reason to even, you know, silence is a communication. And this is how we train men. I mean, if you want to send a text that says, ooh, gross, you can. Uh, gentlemen, if you're out there and you still think it's cool to send Richard pictures, let me say this. That it is the same as if an old uncle sent you his Richard picture, right? You'd go, ew, gross. We are not visually wired. You are visually wired. And you think if I send this beautiful picture of my anatomy to her, she'll send one of her anatomy because women love to reciprocate and be kind. No. We won't. We'll be grossed out. That's what we'll be doing. So please don't. Don't do it. Um, And the last is, uh, where to meet genuine guys? Yeah, you go be a genuine girl. I think we got it. Okay. Thank you so much for writing this. Do we have time for one more, Kayla, before we go to break? No, let's go to break. Go to break. Okay, when we come back, I got a couple doozies for you. You won't believe them. Uh, You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. 
But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.